Now from the Greater St. Peter African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jonesboro, Georgia, this is the podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. And I'm here with our monthly visit with Charles Richardson. And Charles, thanks a lot for joining us once again. Well, the food is good, too. Oh, absolutely. I enjoyed my lunch. So uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about COVID for, for a minute. And um, there are people who are saying, despite the Omicron variant and despite the Delta variants, that COVID is no more. Don't worry about it. Just go out and live your life. Well, that's very dangerous. Uh, COVID is still very much a thing. It's not only a thing for the Delta variant, it's also a thing for the Omicron uh, variant. So people have to be very careful. They still should mask up when they're indoors with a bunch of people. And I think this holiday season, they have to be very careful. Uh, you know, we're going to have some people over the house. But we made it very plain that if you're not vaccinated, you can't come in. Right. You know, um, it's, it's, and not only fully vaccinated, uh, my definition of that is that you've had your two shots and the booster. And you've had that booster more than two weeks ago. And it takes two weeks for it to uh, come into full effect. So people have to be, this thing still does not play. If you look back over 2021 and think about how many people we've lost, over 800,000 people since last year when this thing first appeared, that's a lot of people. And I'm sure people in the community know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that died of COVID. Absolutely. And or know somebody who knows somebody who had it and they're still suffering the repercussions of having COVID. Exactly. A very good friend of mine died last month. Um, He caught COVID before the vaccines were available. Rough time. After he got out of the hospital, he had to wait a particular time before he got vaccinated, got vaccinated, but his lungs never, never recovered. And he died. Wow. 57. Mm. 57. So uh, I, I think your advice is, is spot on, and, um, and and we are still in the grips of this pandemic. And I see both of us have our masks. Absolutely. And, and we'll, we have masks, we'll travel. <laughs> yeah, and if you're fully vaccinated, meaning meaning two shots and a booster, and a booster. you can come over for, for some eggnog. Otherwise, no. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, we have talked, I guess, in three podcasts about the mayoral race in Warner Robins, Georgia. That's right. And it has come to a conclusion, and tell me about it. Well, LaRonda Patrick beat Randy Toms uh, 52 to 48%. Um, totally unexpected. Uh, she's a female attorney, uh, was the city attorney. For Fort Valley. African American. Right, African American. She grew up in Warner Robins. Her family lives in Warner Robins. She's a Warner Robins person. Now, I don't want to take anything away from her victory, but less than 18% of the electorate in Warner Robins voted. But that's not that's not uncommon. Warner Robins, for some reason, for their municipal elections, they don't turn out. They just don't. But that means that she has to be very careful even thinking about a, a re-election four years from now, because now that she has got the top spot in Warner Robins, uh, 
they're going to come out here for two reasons. She's African-American and she's female. Now, they are saying that she's the first African-American mayor and woman. That's not quite right. Henrietta, Henrietta McIntyre was mayor for a short time in the early 90s after the, the present mayor, the police chief, and the deputy police chief were found to have been trying to do some political sabotage against one of their political enemies. And Clifford Holmes, uh, African-American city councilman, became mayor for about a month uh, when Donald Walker had some health issues. But she is the first elected to the office of mayor, African-American and female. Wow. Historic first tier. So we'll be watching her administration and talking about uh, what's going to go on when uh, she takes office in January. Yeah, it's, it is, Warner Robins is a, an incestuous place, particularly the power structure. So that has been landed on its head now. Uh, she's got to keep her head on a swivel to see who she can trust and who she can't trust. And because things have got to change in more rights. They've got their hiring practices have always been suspect. They've got a problem with the IRS right now. Uh, there are all kinds of things that they have to do in order to clean up their shop. Wow. Interesting. Well, so let's talk about, uh, since the last time we, we sat down and, and talked, uh, a former United States senator, uh, has decided to jump in the race for governor of Georgia, and he is going to be opposing the incumbent governor in the uh, Republican primary, uh, and we're talking about David Perdue and also Brian Kemp. Now, I, here's Perdue's problem. He's got Trump's endorsement, but Brian Kemp is just going to sit back and, and lay down. He's got a war chest. He's got ways to get his message out because he is the sitting governor. And if, if every attack Purdue makes on Kemp looks like bad blood. Every attack Kemp makes on Purdue is justifiable blood. I mean, these two were allies the last election. They were patting each other on the back, appearing together, all of that. Well, all that changed because of Trump. Now, what... Purdue probably doesn't understand. Purdue, one, is not a very good campaigner. He didn't campaign worth diddly uh, the last Senate race. But those suburban white women around the Atlanta area, if you tie yourself too close to Trump, which Purdue has, they're going to vote against you. And he, I don't think he's factored that in. Uh, it's, you know, it's one thing to be a, 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 a senior ex-senator. But it's another to betray your friend or your your past friend to uh, pay fealty to Donald Trump, and I think that's going to hurt. Hmm. And, and so, do you think that's why he's running this airing? He's doing this for the good graces of Donald Trump for something later on. There's there's no good that can come out of it for him. I mean, if he loses, Trump will turn on him and say, well, this is what you did wrong, this is what you did wrong. Uh, if he wins, what does he get? He gets a chance to go up against Stacey Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and let's talk about it. So, so Stacey Abrams finally announced, mm -hmm. and um, 
but that wasn't the biggest political story. It was it was Purdue getting in against Kemp. Uh, what does this do for Stacey Abrams? I think it gives her a free pass. The free pass, she can set her own agenda. She can talk about things that she wants to talk about. She doesn't have to answer the charges that would normally fly during a normal uh, a normal uh, election. She, until the end of the primary, she's got free reign to talk about her program and what she will do without challenge, because they're going to be too busy fighting each other's head off. Yeah, I saw an ad uh, last night. I, I guess it was from a, uh, a third-party group. Uh, that attacked uh, David Perdue, and it looked like the same opposition research that Warnock or some of the Democratic allies were throwing against David Perdue during the last campaign. And it's going to be very, very ugly. They're talking about that the governor's campaign for governor, they may spend a billion dollars. I mean, a billion dollars. Now, of course, you've got uh, Warnock going for re-election. you got Herschel Walker in the race. Gary Black is going to cut Herschel anew. Mm. He is not afraid of him. He's going he's to do whatever he needs to do because other than playing football for University of Georgia, where's Herschel? <laughs> you know, he, didn't, he doesn't even live here. <laughs> you know, he's been in, in Texas. Yeah, Texas-based Herschel Walker is like, uh, I like to describe him sometimes. Right. So there's going to be money flowing into this state. There are a lot of national offices up for grabs. The control of the Senate is up for grabs. The control of the state house is up for grabs. So uh, bankers get ready. Get your TV sets ready to go on mute because every other ad that you hear is going to be a political ad. Wow. So with all of this, then, does... Does one aunt do the same thing as Stacey Abrams? I'm, I'm going to just lay back and let the Republicans fight it out, and then, I, I, and then I'm going to see what happens afterwards? I think you'll see Warnock do exactly what he did last time. You know, he has some constraints. He's a pastor, and there are certain lines he's not going to cross. Last time he didn't cross any lines. All he did was walk his dog down the street. <laughs> yeah. And those commercials were very effective. The dog is be a little bit bigger this year, but I think you'll see him take the same tack because it obviously worked. And it humanized him. It, it humanized him. You know, he wasn't the the pastor of oh Martin Luther King's former church. You know, he he was human. Came from Savannah, grew up in the projects, um, and he's he's. Of course, well spoken, but he's also done a lot of the things that you'd expect you'd expect him to do. So he's got a record to run on. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems to be a positive record. Yeah, and uh, and then he can also walk that line that you talked about, running a po mainly positive campaign with with the the bigger dog, mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 rely on that. He can rely on it no matter whether it's Gary Black or whether it's Herschel Walker. Because the attacks that you heard the last time, that uh, he's a communist, he's this, he's that. Okay, he's been in office in two for two years, and none of that stuff has happened. Right. And, you know, I, I think Georgians are getting a little smarter. Um, there, there are some attack ads that just don't make any sense. And now, it may attract a certain group, but maybe down in rural Georgia somewhere, that they'll believe that. But around the Atlanta area, and that's where the race will be decided, that's not going to fall. Well, let's talk about that then, the, the new voting law. 
uh, and, and I've heard talk that in this session of the legislature, there may be a move just to eliminate drop boxes altogether. There could be. Um, but here, here is the thing. I think you've got motivated voters that realize what they accomplished in 2020. And they can try to put roadblocks in front of them if they want to. All that will do is make them want to vote more. Now, what we do have to worry about in Senate Bill 202 is them taking control over the Board of Elections in Fulton County. Which I, I, I would suspect that that's one of the things they will do. And that's what they're going to try to do. Now, that can face court challenges really easy. For one, they're going to have to set up a scenario where it doesn't look like they're just taking over. But in doing that, uh, what people don't realize is that, yes, they can put in their own people that the Fulton County will have to pay for. At the same time, paying for the people that they displaced. So Fulton County has a has, can say, look, I, I realize the law says they can do this, but we shouldn't have to pay for it twice. You know, we shouldn't have to pay our people and their people. Uh, what's going on here? So I think you, I think you'll see people in Fulton County. Uh, the new mayor is gonna gonna be very important to that. Um, and it's not just Fulton County. This is going to in, involve Cobb, DeKalb, all of those counties in the metro area because they know that they could be coming after them too. And I would suspect the same thing then with the the larger counties in uh, outlying areas of the state, Chatham County. Uh, Doherty County, uh, Macon Bibb, uh, all of these other major metro areas in which are vote-rich areas, particularly for Democrats, um, that sort of thing will be done. Well, the first thing they have to do is make their case. Where was the election screwed up in Macon Bibb County? But I, from my understanding of the law, there's no case you have to make. You, you can just say that that we feel that we're going to take over this election board. Well, but they can't do it without cause. They have to, one, have an investigation into that board of elections, and they can't do it without cause. They just can't. They can, they can make up something, which we know they'll, they'll do, but they just can't go in and replace uh, without, without cause or investigation. And those counties are going to fight back. I mean, they're, they're not just going to roll over. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd imagine that they'll go after Fulton because that's the most rich, vote-rich Democratic stronghold. Um, but there's plenty of time between now and the and the primaries that if they don't do it by the primary, it's going to be difficult for them to do it for the general. Because if it works all right during the primary, what's going on? Right, right. So Georgia is an open primary state. And it seems as if, if there's not a whole lot of action on the Democratic side, would it be okay for a Democrat to go and let's go vote in the Republican primary? Uh, that could happen. And I'm sure that, that their inquiring minds want to know. I'm pretty sure you'll see, you'll see some of that. Because of my understanding from history, in 1966, uh, when... Uh, uh, Lester Maddox became, one of the ways he became governor was uh, Republicans uh, went to the Democratic primary and voted for Lester Maddox. And, of course, his opponent that year was in the primary was Jimmy Carter. 
And that's how Maddox got the, the Democratic nomination, which is tantamount in those days of, of, of getting elected. Right. And it's, and it's it, uh, a, very, a, a scene of that has been played out in a number of different areas. Um, uh, Abel Mabel uh, ran in the Republican primary against George Israel in Macon. And that was, uh, that was, Mabel was not uh, anybody's dummy. She knew exactly what she was doing, and George Israel had to run. He had to run, he had to take her seriously. So I can see that playing out in this election as well. Wow, okay. And, and, and so Democrats would kind of pick, for example, let's say in the, in the Gary Black, uh, Herschel Walker race. I would suspect that Democrats would far want to run against Herschel than Gary Black. I would imagine so. And Herschel does have that name recognition. And he might have his name recognition all the way up until the uh, until the general election. And if Warnock knocks him off, then he'll be in the Senate for a long time. But I think Gary Black is going to throw so much substantive mud at Herschel that I don't think Herschel will win. Hmm. Uh, Gary Black is... is, is he seemed low-key, but from the time Herschel announced, he hadn't backed up a bit. Right. So then then a, a Gary Black, Raphael Warnock general uh, forecast that a little bit. The top of the ticket, Stacey Abrams. <clears throat> She's going to have some long coattails. Mm. <clears throat> She'll have the opportunity to get out the vote for not only herself, but for Raphael Warner. Now, I want, I want to disagree a little bit that with that because if you look at when Stacey ran for governor last time and she and she came very close. 55,000 votes. But uh, Jeff Duncan won the lieutenant governorship handily. Mm -hmm. So there was, and of course, we don't run in tickets in Georgia, but it, it, but it would seem to me that if I'm pulling the lever for, for Abrams, I'm also going to pull the lever for Amico. Uh, the, the lieutenant governor candidate uh, who ran with her, and they and they did kind of make themselves in a bit as a ticket, mm -hmm. uh, and and so that gives me some reason to pause. But Jeff Duncan was a known commodity, and Amico wasn't, and she didn't have the same level of name recognition. Stacy. Uh, and quite frankly, Kemp set up where he all he had to do was shave a little bit, and he shaved 1.5 percent of the vote to fall in his favor. That won't be the case this time. I would imagine that Stacy already has plans on how she's going to make sure her voters get to the polls, and her voters will have a, more of a conscience and also turn around and vote for um, uh, Raphael Warner. Today's devotional, God sees you differently. In baseball, the midpoint of the season is when the All-Star game is played. The All-Star break is a time where Major League teams evaluate their chances at making the playoffs. This season, the Atlanta Braves had a losing record of 44 wins and 44 losses at the All-Star break. Experts gave the Braves an 0.3% chance of winning the World Series. Very little was going well for the Braves. And most folks, including this fan, saw them as a losing team. Alice Anthopoulos, the general manager of the Braves, did not see them as a losing team. 
He acquired Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, and Eddie Rosario, remaking the outfield, along with fireballer Richard Rodriguez to reinforce the bullpen. The 44 and 45 Braves got the message. Their general manager saw them differently, not as a losing team, but as a World Series winning team, which is exactly what they became. Abram grew up in a pagan home, an unbelieving and idolatrous society. With such an upbringing, many may see Abram as a sinful and unbelieving man. However, God saw things differently. When Abram was 99 years old, God made an extraordinary promise to a person of his background. The Lord declared to Abram, that at long last he and his wife would have a son, and that he was changing his name to Abraham, reflecting God's vision and status for him to become the father of many nations. God sees you differently from what you and the world may see you to be. God's plans for you are far greater than we could ever imagine. Many of us may not know how God sees us and what God's plans for us are. We need to look no further than the world champion Atlanta Braves, and Abram, who became Abraham, to know that God sees you differently. We're coming to the part of the show in which we've, we've talked a little, a lot of politics, but let's talk about books for a minute. Okay. Okay. What are you reading right now? I'm reading a book. Just finished it, as a matter of fact. It's called Reckless Misfortune. Okay. How the First World War uh, uh, affected us 100 years later. Americans don't know much about it. It's by Christopher Blake, <clears throat> excuse me, the president at Middle Georgia State University. He's from across the pond. Yes, yeah, yes. And his father and grandfather fought in the First World War. The amount, Americans don't know much about it. But all I'll tell you is that between 1917, when the United States got into the war, to uh, 1918, we lost 250,000 troops. Astonishing. Astonishing. I mean, the amount of bloodshed uh, that Britain, France, all the other allies was astounding. And we, have, we are just now getting on the uh, remembrance train. Where Europe has been on it all, all along, they lost millions of people. It was the first war that really involved civilians. And they say 30 million civilians died in the first war. Uh, there are cemeteries honoring that war all across the all across Europe. But things came out of that war that were uh, kind of interesting. Medicines, vaccines, all of that, those were developed because of the war. Because people were falling out because of d disease, dysentery, all of this. Not necessarily being shot. They, uh, uh, amputations were more, uh, uh, they were first just amputating everything that, that you got shot, you just cut it off. Well, how to, how to avoid that? So there, there are modern day things that happened, that started in the first, first World War. And he gives a brilliant account of it. It's a very, very good book. Hmm. Battlefield medicine has advanced civilian medicine in so many ways. Yes. Now, some would say it might have advanced too much. Yes. In, in the fact that wounds that would have killed someone in the Vietnam War, well, they're now able to survive. But in what state are they? Um, in, in Iraq, we were able to save a lot of people, but their, their, their bodies have been riddled with injuries 
those IEDs just cutting right through people. Um, so they're still the walking wounded, and they'll be that way for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a couple of books. Uh, the first book is called Shug, S-H-U-G, and it's by a local author, by a young lady by the name of Frenchie Hodges. And this book is um, about remembering the death of a young man who was known by the name Shug, an African-American young man who was shot and killed by a white man in Dublin, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And um, the white man never uh, went to trial. And uh, and died a murderer who was never put in jail. Well, the thing about that is that the ultimate judge is the man upstairs, and you will you will pay for your misdeeds. Um, and there are a lot of people that are going to be paid for their misdeeds or are paying for their misdeeds. And 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 looking at that book, it it, it reminds me of uh, this week. Well, last week, last Monday. Uh, we had the closure once again of the Emmett Till case, mm-hmm. and uh, those two men who, who who murdered Emmett Till confessed, mm-hmm. uh, but because of double jeopardy, they could not be tried again. Mm-hmm. And and this centered around whether or not the the young lady involved actually, to a historian, recanted her story, mm-hmm. but. Uh, she, after the federal investigators talked to her, said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not recanting. Well, you know, she's caught between a rock and a hard place. And she's had to live with this for, what, the last 60 years? Um, it really doesn't matter whether she recants or not. Let's say she, uh, Emmett did exactly what they said he did. He didn't rape her. He didn't kiss her. He didn't do any of that. And they mutilated him and killed him. Uh, nothing that he did would have warranted that, except it was the times where your life, almost like now, isn't worth a bucket. Just not, just not particularly in the, in the minds of, of, of the white folks of the time. They felt they could take your life with impunity because they could. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The second book I'm reading is the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. and uh, both of these books we're going to be reading for the book club, uh, community book club that involves our church and several other churches and several other organizations. Uh, the 1619 Project is going to be the uh, uh, January book. The Shug book is the, the book that we're going to be looking at coming this Saturday. Um, and, and my initial read of the book, and I'm, I'm believing it or not, I'm just really at the beginning of it, but... Uh, she is setting up the premise of why she wrote the book mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that that uh, Americans, African-Americans, Americans, period, are not really versed in the history that of this country. Right. And, and, and that's a shame because all this stuff about how you teach history in schools how the Civil War is actually looked at. Uh, that was the first big lie. You know, it was the first big lie that uh, they changed the narrative. Well, it wasn't about slavery. Well, in their own, in their own articles of secession, it was about slavery. They said, those aren't my words, those are the words that they wrote. In every state that they seceded from the Union, they said why they were seceding. Now, you can try to change that, but you can't. It's history. 
And the 1619 Project brought that and other things throughout our history that most people just don't know. And there's some folks that don't want anybody else to know either. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree. And, and and if we can agree upon a common sense of a set of facts, but we apparently we can't. No, we can't because there's there's a fantasy and then there's a reality. You know, they tried to promote the fantasy that oh we were just happy slaves. You know, we're going about our business. Oh yeah, we're, we're they're working 14 to 16 hours a day, getting uh, just enough calories to survive, and they're happy as can be. No, they weren't. And from the very beginning of the institution, there were rebellions all the time. Hmm. And the 1619 Project brings all of that together. The New York Times published that series, and they've stood behind it, even though some academics have, have come after it. But it's history. It's there if you decide to look at it. Yeah. Do you believe that 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 uh, this whole business about uh, 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 about uh, history and what we teaching history it became an issue in the virginia governor's race mm -hmm. uh, I, I do you think it will become an, uh, an issue in in these races critical race theory well if it does it'll be to the detriment of, of whoever brings it up most particularly republicans don't even know what critical race theory is so they're making their own definition but i've heard camp talk about that he in in you know the woke culture and but history isn't woke it is and they can put a try to slap a label on it, but the fact of the matter is, we know what caused the Civil War. We know 1619 was uh, 200 years before the, 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 the Civil War began, and we were in slavery back then. So you can't erase that part. And kids ought to be taught the history of this country. Yes, folk are gonna make some folk uncomfortable. Whenever you do something that's telling people the truth, it's going to make some folk uncomfortable. Hmm. Well, it is always a pleasure to sit down with you because you always tell the truth, and it's uh, and an informed truth. That's what I, I like about our conversation. So, so thank you so much, Charles. Uh, I hope the, that we will be in front of these microphones next month. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Same to you, and may your church prosper. <laughs> thank you so much. Until the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love. Saints, it's your faithfulness to greater St. Peter that enables us to do the work of the Lord. There are four ways you can give to us. First, you can use Cash App at dollar sign G-S-P-A-M-E-C. Second, you can text to give at 770-284-0771. Third, you can use Zelly by typing greater St. Peter 9540 at yahoo.com Fourth and family you can mail your contribution to 9540 Fayetteville Road Jonesboro, Georgia 30238 Thank you and blessings Blessings